Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Those of you watching online, we're so honored that you're taking time out of your day to join us. And so uh, tune out distractions, stay focused in here. If you're from out of town, uh, we welcome you. We do have people from all over the country that called this their home church. And so we welcome you and we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, if, and if you're maybe you just decided to do church in your pajamas today, we bless you. We're, we're excited that you're taking time to, to join us today. Uh, I want to start by simply saying uh, thank you to Pastor Wade. What a great word last week on hope. If you missed it, uh, you really need to go back and, and watch that. I, I told uh, a, a week or two ago, the creative team and some of the tech team and creative team had came to us and said, hey, we're doing Advent and we're lighting the candles every week like what we've been doing. Although Oscar forgot to light the candle here this morning. Anybody notice that but me? It's okay, Oscar, we forgive you. It's lit now. Um, Jesus lit it when you wasn't looking. No, I'm just kidding. Jackie, Jackie lit it. But we're doing Advent that way. And they asked me the question, like last year, are we going to preach sermons every week that line up with each candle? You know, hope, uh, joy, peace, love, all those. And I said, you know, we did that last year. This, this year, we're not going to do that. We're just going to kind of see what the Holy Spirit wants to say week to week. And uh, so then Wade decides to preach on hope in week one, <laughs> which was great. It was amazing. And then on my way home, so Mich last week, Michelle and I and the kids were, were, were with family uh, for Thanksgiving, and we were driving back during church. So we're driving carefully and watching church. And um, the whole time Pastor Wade's preaching, I just repeatedly over and over again, since like the Holy Spirit is, is challenging me uh, to speak joy over this house. Just over and over again, you speak joy over that house. You speak joy over that house. And so today I'm going to preach to you about joy. And then I was like, well, shoot, sorry, guys, that we're, we're kind of following the Advent uh, week to week uh, unknowingly. But that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about joy. Uh, and I know we've probably heard a lot of sermons on joy. I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that maybe you've never heard on Christmas talking about joy. But I think it's an important topic. Because as believers, we're called to live a life other than those living in the world. But unfortunately, so many times we struggle with joy just as much as anybody else, if we're being really honest. We struggle with, with anxiety or depression or worry or fear uh, because we're human. But we're called as believers to live a life of joy. Well, how do we do that? How do, how do we live a joyful life um, in a worldly world, right? And I don't know the stats. I should have done the research, but I can make up stats. You know that 80% of stats are made up on the spot, right? <laughs> Including that one that I just made up. I just totally made that up. I have no idea. But if I say it with enough effort and authority, you're like, wow, I didn't know that. That's, I don't know the stats, uh, but I do know that uh, anxiety is up, depression is up. Uh, they're, they're prescribing more anti-anxiety and anti-depression anti medications than ever before. And if you're on one of those, that's not a slam. You should continue those. I think the drugs are helpful in those areas. But it does show us the world in which we live in uh, that mental health is a really, really challenging thing right now. And so as believers, we should not only um, do this well, but we should lead the way in modeling what it looks like 
uh, to live a life of joy. So today's going to be kind of like deep thoughts with John Chastain. <laughs> I just kind of want to take you through some, some reflection that I've done. And, you know, like, like most sermons, I, I begin ever since the Lord dealt with me to talk about joy. If you've ever preached a sermon, most cases, whatever topic the Lord puts on your heart to preach on, the enemy attacks you in that area leading up to your sermon, by the way. So um, I've struggled this week trying to stay positive, trying to stay encouraged. And so I've had to practice what I preached. I pulled out my sermon this morning and preached to myself. <laughs> I preached this joy message to myself. And so I hope this encourages you today. I wanna to talk to you about this subject, how to stop losing my joy. How do I stop losing my joy? Because you have moments where you're joyful, but we lose it. And so the passage of scripture that I wanna take you to today as kind of a foundational verse is Hebrews chapter 12. And in this passage, we get a really good example from Jesus about joy, okay? So Hebrews 12 verse one says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And watch verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, means he wrote it, and the perfecter of faith. Now, this is where we're going to lean in. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And here's why. I love this. This is why Jesus did it. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I love this picture because it tells us that how he endured the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus, this wasn't a pleasurable experience for him. He endured hardship. And then in this passage gives us a secret into how he endured the hardship. It says, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was in a not very joyful circumstance, but he saw joy that was in front of him. This word set before him in the Greek, in the original language Greek, it is the Greek word prokamai, and it means in front of, to be placed within sight. It means that joy was not with him, but it was within sight. One could argue that he had double vision, <laughs> that he had the ability to see things in the natural, but he could also see things in the supernatural at the same time. And so we can learn from this. Jesus is a really great teacher. And Jesus came and walked on this earth so that we could learn from him in our, in our day-to-day life. So today I want to kind of walk you through us trying to learn from this circumstance. So we all lose stuff. Um, even, even last night, my daughter lost a laptop, okay? And what I told Michelle is, is this guy, it's there somewhere. Have you ever had your parents tell you this? It didn't grow legs and walk out. I was like, I saw the laptop, it was on the kitchen counter, so I know it's there, I know it's there somewhere. And so what she proceeded to do was go all over the house looking for something that had been lost. Turns out it wasn't lost, it was just misplaced. It had been placed in a spot that we wouldn't normally go to look. It was misplaced, and we found it, guess where it was? It was where all laptops were stored in your 14-year-old daughter's bathroom drawer with the curling irons and the, duh, what, what, why didn't we look there first, right? So we misplace stuff all the time. 
And here's what I'm here to tell you today is you have not lost your joy, you have misplaced your joy. Your joy has been put into a place that you have not, that, that, that is outside of the realm of where you would normally look. So, so what I wanna do today is kind of take you through some ideas to, to help us find our joy that's been misplaced. Uh, because the problem is, is that, that because we've lost our joy, we have people quitting. If you lose your joy, if you misplace your joy, it could actually cause a ripple effect of actions that could cause, I mean, we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing people uh, give up on marriages. They're, they're quitting on marriage. They're quitting jobs. We're quitting church. We're quitting on God. We're, we're, people are quitting on life. People are just saying, you know what? I don't even want to live anymore. And so we're misplacing something that is available to us. And I hope that through this message today, we can be encouraged by that. And I'm so thankful for Jesus because he gave us this example. My kids are constantly losing stuff at school. And the parents should amen me here. Like I, sweatshirts, water bottles, lunch boxes, what? coats. Yes. Like they just, they lose everything. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Oscar's a little too excited. We write their names on all this stuff. And they're like, my dad, it's embarrassing when you put my name. Well, then stop losing stuff. And I won't have to put your name on it. I'm going to staple it to your forehead if I got to. You know, you got to lose this, this thing. Um, and thankfully, the school has a lost and found that we frequent all the time. But unfortunately, there is no lost and found for our souls. So, so many times we lose something. We lose our joy. And as believers, we don't know where to find it. And so I want to walk us through that today. Um, because he, he, the first thing I want to talk about is... You know, I could, go, I could go buy my kids another coat. I could go buy my kids another water bottle, and sometimes I have to do that. But you know what I'd rather them do as their father? I, I'd rather them just stop losing it. And sometimes I think God's like, why do I have to come back down here every other day and give you more joy? Why don't, how about you just stop losing your joy? Don't lose it, and then I won't have to come down here every other day and bring encouragement to you. And so what I want to do first is I wanna just kinda of give you three possible places. Okay, let's just pretend you lost your keys and you kinda of be, hey, I lost my keys. And I'm like, well, did you check the car? Um, did you check your dresser? I'm gonna give you a couple of places, you know? If you came to me, you're like, I lost my sunglasses. I'm like, they're on top of your head right there, you know? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some ideas of some places that you may have left that item. So what I wanna do first is I wanna give you three places that you may have misplaced your joy. Okay. First one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Joy is often misplaced at the intersection of comparison and complaining. So many times we lose our joy because we, we, we've lost sight. We've started to compare. And this is really, really easy to do in our day and age, uh, in, in, in the Western world especially. So you remember the Israelites, they left Egypt and they left joyful. They were excited. They were out of slavery. Um, they had plunder, they had gold, they had all these things. In fact, the Bible says that they left Egypt, quote, ready for battle. They were so excited and so happy and so joyful that they were completely irrational. God's like, no, you're not ready for battle, so we're gonna take you in the roundabout way. But they were so excited to get out that they came out joyful. And I wanna show you what had happened just a short time later. We see it all the way through their wilderness journey. Numbers 11, verse four. It says, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. 
So they start comparing. They start saying, we got nothing but manna, and they start comparing it to Egypt. So they, go, they fall into this comparison trap, and, and the comparison led to a craving. So they compared their current situation to Egypt, and all of a sudden they started craving what Egypt had, okay? And the people of Israel also began to complain. So you can see the cycle. Comparison led to craving. Craving led to complaining. Now watch how irrationally crazy these people were. Watch this. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Oh, you thought that fish was free. You were slaves. You, you, you couldn't even brush your teeth without permission. And, and because of comparison, comparison's very dangerous, y'all. Comparison will make you think irrationally and you'll start comparing apples to oranges. Like they were able to shut out the sting of a whip on their back because they were thinking about the fish. Okay, and sometimes we do this. We, we think about the person with the big house, the big car, the big company, the big business, the big name, not knowing that all of those things that we crave is actually slavery to that person. So, so if we're not careful, we can allow comparison to get us way outside the ramifications of, of, of where, we, where we wanna go. So it started with comparison. Um, Israel's wilderness time was supposed to be 40 years. And one could make the argument, if they so chose, that it was misplaced joy that kept them in the wilderness. Because they lost their ability to find joy in the middle of their wilderness, they had misplaced their joy, which led to comparing, which led to craving, which led to complaining, which led to God being like, mm -mm. Not, not today. We're going around this mountain one more time. Okay, so joy has a big part of our life that God's trying to get our attention in. So what is complaining? I complain, you complain. Somebody's complaining about my sermon right now. Like somebody's like, man, I wish he would stop doing that, whatever. We, we, we just, we complain. That's kind of what we do. It's kind of human nature. But I want to just kind of caution us to the ramifications of complaining or really what complaining even, even is because it's a dangerous place that we go to. I want to make this statement. If what I say cannot be considered worship or an honor to God, then who am I honoring? Okay, think, think about it this way. Um, I'm gonna make even a bolder statement, and I, I believe it's true, I'm, it's just an opinion. I would present to you that complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. When we complain, I think the enemy's like, oh yeah, I got him. Got him right where I want him. So how do we backtrack the complaining? If you will backtrack your complaining far enough, you will find comparison almost every time. So we must be very careful. And I, I'm just gonna present to you and I'm gonna go into the next point because this is an awkward one. If you've misplaced your joy, I would be willing to bet you that the first place I would go to look is at the intersection of comparison and complaining, okay? Number two, if you're taking notes, write this one down. Joy is often misplaced at the intersection of self and happiness. Now I want to decipher. I, I want you to be happy. I hope you're happy. Um, but I think Cheryl Crow was wrong. Yes, she 
If, you, if it makes you, you ever heard this song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad? <laughs> I can think of a couple of things. I wanna take a second and just kind of decipher the difference between joy and happiness because they are completely different things. Now, let me show you what has kind of led into the culture of, of our nation. And I don't say this negatively, I guess I do in a sense, but you hear my heart. See if this sounds familiar. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of So we have a nation who, I'm so thankful for life, I'm so thankful for liberty, and I'm thankful for happiness. But you can see where our culture has been crafted and shaped by happiness. Now let me ask you this question, how are we doing with that? I mean, how many people are really genuinely happy? So, joy, joy is different than happiness because the Bible says that joy is a fruit of the spirit. It, in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, it's a fruit of the spirit. So happiness is a fruit of the earth. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. See, see the difference. There's a difference between joy and, and happiness. Happiness is head, it's feelings. Um, joy is heart. Uh, happiness is earthly minded. Joy is kingdom minded. They're, they're totally different things. I like what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and, and one only in common with them, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted joy would ever, if both were in his power, exchange joy for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. He's saying joy is way better than, than happiness. Joy is far better than pleasures. But many times we end up pursuing pleasures because they are at our disposal. So we end up going after things that we think will fill some void, but really joy is the only thing that will do this for us. So happiness is very me-focused. Happiness is about me. Happiness is about filling the reservoir of John's feelings through chocolate. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? And sometimes that works, you know, and that's good. You should, you should eat chocolate. But, but it also, it can come in, in any other forms. So happiness is always, the end result of happiness is always to make you feel good. Joy, this is, the, this is the thing that you'll find in the kingdom over and over and over again. Joy is less about what it does for you and, and more about what it does through you. So let me prove it to you in scripture. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy. So you're the reservoir. He's gonna fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, but here's why. So that you may overflow. So God wants you to be joyful. And, and at peace. But God's like, but it's not just about you. I wanna give you so much joy that you overflow and then everybody around you gets to taste the joy that's coming out of you. So happiness is about filling the reservoir of your feelings and joy is about a river flowing through you of joy despite your circumstances, despite whatever's around you. You're a joy, and then you become a living testimony to the goodness of God when we're able to do this. I love this quote too. It says that joy is the realest reality, the fullest life, 
And joy is always given, never grasped. God gives gifts, and I give thanks, and I unwrap the gift given, joy. So the second option, if you've misplaced your joy, I would encourage you to go and analyze your pursuit of happiness, okay? Third thing is this. Joy often is often misplaced at the intersection of hardship and shame. Many times we just simply lose our joy because we're going through something really hard. It's hardship. And we live in a fallen world, and I wish I was a pastor that could sit up here and describe to you why babies get cancer and why children die before their parents do and why disasters strike and why innocent people are, 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 are wounded and why racism exists and all these things. But unfortunately, we live in a fallen world and there is hardship. Many times we lose our joy because of the circumstances. And there's not a human being under the sound of my voice that isn't going through something that has the capability of robbing your joy. Or maybe it's not the hardship, maybe it's something you did in the past and now the enemy uses it as shame against you. And so you fail, you, you, you struggle to live a life of joy because, for your future because you're constantly carrying shame from the past. Now, the cool thing about this is Jesus gives us a absolutely perfect example because he covers these two things. In this text we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, in front of him, he endured the hardship and he, he despised, or some translations say he scorned the shame. Now I wanna set the atmosphere. So the atmosphere of Jesus hanging on the cross is he's enduring pain, duh, right? And, and shame simultaneously. Everybody he knows, everybody he loves has rejected him. He's hanging on the cross naked. The Jews have rejected him. The Greeks have rejected him. The Romans have rejected him. Peter has rejected him. Everybody has rejected him and he is left hanging on a cross all by himself. His own father turns his back on him. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he's hanging full of shame, but it says it was the joy that was set in front of him that gave him the ability to do what he was doing, right? So let's look at these two characteristics. This was a very joyless circumstance. Can we all agree with that? So let's look at the two things that made it that way. It was the cross, and the Bible says he endured it. The Greek word for endured is the Greek word hupamano, and it means to remain, to persevere, to tarry behind. So, he was tarrying behind and he had the ability to do it because of something that was set before him. And I don't know if we've ever really paused to think about this very often, but Jesus could have climbed off that cross anytime he wanted to. The Bible says he could have sent 10,000 angels to rescue him. But one thing the body of Christ, myself included, we've lost the ability of being good at tarrying. Just, just remain. I'm so glad Jesus remained on the cross. He was able to remain in a painful situation, not because the situation got better. There was no joy in the cross. He was able to endure it because of a joy that was set before him, something that was out in front of him. And so we have this, we have to, we, guys, we got to get better in endurance. We can endure the marriage. If your marriage is struggling, you can endure uh, not giving up on life. 
Don't give up on life. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's considering suicide, maybe you're watching on, online and you couldn't even get out of your pajamas today because you're so discouraged and so depressed. There is nothing worth giving your life away for. You, we gotta learn how to tar tarry. Remain in the job, remain in the marriage, remain in the church, remain God's child. Don't give up on God because some pastor did something stupid. Your faith is not through a pastor, okay? So we, we learn how to tarry. How do we do that? Because there's something good coming and we believe it. The second, the second atmosphere that was given is one he endured. The second thing is he scorned the shame. This word scorned is the Greek word katafrano, and it means to despise, to disdain. Watch the last one, to think little of. So Jesus hung on the cross. He's naked. In, from the earthly perspective, he's lost. He was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to rescue them. He was supposed to do all these things. And from the world's perspective, it was very shameful. And the Bible says that he scorned it or he disdained it, which means he thought little of that. He had double vision. He could say, I see it in the natural, but I'm thinking less of the natural than I am of the supernatural. I'm gonna think less of this and more of this. Less of my doubt and more of my faith. Less of my fear and more of my trust. He thought less of that. And we, we tend to think of, um, we, we, we tend to think the opposite. We, we tend to elevate our circumstances and diminish God's power, don't we? It's natural. I do it, we all do it. Because what's in front of our physical eyes is way easier to understand and believe than what's in front of our supernatural eyes. And Jesus is our example, okay? He did this so beautifully. So if, if you've lost your joy, you may have misplaced it somewhere in your hardship. Let me give you one nugget and then I'll start wrapping up, okay? So those are the places you may have misplaced it. Let me give you, um, yeah, let me just write this down, okay? If, you, if this is worth your gas money for driving here today. Okay, if nothing else, you can be, I know gas prices are high right now, but this right here, you need to write this down. You take it, this is, this is important to know about joy. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. The reason we're terrible at joy is because we wait for the feeling to come. Believers have the ability to focus and the feelings follow the focus. We gotta learn what to focus on. You, you think it was easy for Jesus on the cross? The Bible says he endured it. He, he took his eyes off of what was happening and it says for the joy set before him. It means he, couldn't, he didn't have it, but he could see it. I could see something that I wasn't experiencing in the moment. So he had this ability to look past what he was going through. And there's a, there's a big difference between pain um, for no purpose and pain with a purpose. Jesus understood the purpose in the pain. He could endure the pain because he knew the pain had a purpose. And many times for us, it's really hard for us to understand the, the purpose of our pain. And I will say many times, sometimes the purpose of your pain only makes sense in reverse. Only five years from now, you'll be like, oh, I see what you were doing there, God. Um, if, if, if I'm standing up here and I've got my back turned 
and I didn't know it. I was talking to somebody, and my son Jace, he's 11. He's like 60 pounds soaking wet, you know? He's a bean pole. Um, I know, you see where he may get it from. But he, if he came up on the stage, I didn't see him coming, and he ran full speed and just clobbered me and jumped on my back. He could, he could probably take me down, right? He could put some pain on me. So that's 60 pounds. Now, if I took that same 60 pounds and there was purpose in the pain and I put 60 pounds on a dumbbell and I went to try to do a squat, that's warm-up weight. Same weight, different purpose. If you've never done ab workout and I come and tell you to do some abs, about four, four reps in, you're gonna be like, uh, yeah, this is stupid. I don't see the purpose in this pain. But there is a purpose in the pain. So sometimes the, the pain has a purpose. Jesus understood the purpose of this pain. He could endure the pain because his focus was set on the joy before him. Um, let me ask you this question. What joy is set before you? What, what joy do we have as believers that is set before us? Do you believe that God has something good around the corner? Okay, let's look at Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with what? With joy and peace. Oh, this is good. As you trust in him. My ability, according to this, my ability to receive joy is directly linked to, in fact, it's dependent upon my ability to trust God with that circumstance. If, you, if we don't trust God, we will never have joy. So he directly links it to trust. So it really boils down to what joy is set before you. Do you believe that God is for you, not against you? Do you believe that God has, has plans to help you, not to harm you? Do you believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills or whatever resources you're waiting on him for, he's actually capable of doing that? Do you believe that he could heal and restore marriages? Do you believe that he could heal cancer? Do you believe, fill in the blank. What areas of our life do we trust God in? We can find joy in the, in, in the midst of this, these moments of trust. So whether we feel it or not, joy is present. It's just set before you. And we can endure. We can endure hardship. We can endure struggles because we know that God has something great coming our way. So how do I know joy is not a feeling? Okay, let me, let me prove it to you because James slaps us upside the head with it. It's like one of my least favorite verses in all the Bible. Let me just say that. From the get-go, James 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Forget you, James. That's terrible. Count it joy. It doesn't say climb into trials. No, you fall. You're going to fall. You're going to fall into trials, and you should be happy about it. It's going to be great. This proves to me that Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. It's a focus because he says this. He says, I want you to count it. Count it joy. Now, in, in the original language, in the Greek, this word count, it means to consider, to deem, to account, okay? To have authority over. Now, this is, if you look up this word and study it, it's an it's a accounting term. It's a business term. It's like an income statement. For all the CPAs and accountants and business owners in the room, 
You know about income statements, you got income and expenses. James is like, hey, you're seeing the trials as an expense. I'm telling you to count it as an asset. I'm telling you to put it in the asset column. It's an income. What? Are you crazy, James? Have you lost your mind? Well, he goes on to tell us why. He says, my brother, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, the most important word in that whole text is produces. If you're a businessman or a businesswoman, you know that production is important. You must produce a product. And he's saying that these trials will actually be your production manufacturing plant. So you can count it as an asset because it's gonna take sweat equity to build it, but you're producing something in the process. You're producing patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Joy works, but you gotta work it. It only works if you work it. It takes work. And the reason we don't like you know, I would rather be able to preach a sermon to you. It's like, guys, it's great. You just come up here and I'm gonna lay hands on you and you're just gonna walk out happy. It's gonna be great. I'm just gonna give you joy and it's gonna be amazing. The, the reason that this doesn't work is because focusing on joy is kingdom work. This is kingdom work. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I mean. I said it earlier, happiness is the kingdom of this earth. And you can find happiness. I mean, people say money doesn't make you happy. I'm like, well, I'd sure like to try. I mean, <laughs> so you may find happiness in some stuff, but if you want real lasting joy that's not dependent upon your circumstances, you won't find it in this earth. It's kingdom work. And the reason most Christians fall short of finding true joy is because we don't wanna work for it. It's like we wanna be blessed by God, but we don't wanna tithe. That sounds too hard. It's kingdom work. It's work. And so it's something that we must step into and let it work. So C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Serious business. It doesn't fall in your lap. We have focus. And I didn't lose my joy. I've just misplaced it. But if I'll focus hard enough on the right things in the kingdom of God, joy is always there waiting. Romans 14, 17. So this passage, I was just reading uh, the Bible and get to Romans 14, and Paul's kind of talking about all these things between eating and drinking, and don't offend your brother by what you eat and what you drink, and you know everything is permissible, but not all things are beneficial, all this stuff. And then you get to verse 17. Verse 17 has this gold nugget. It's like mining, and it's just, wow, there it is right there. And so watch verse 17. Verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of what? God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but here's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. It's kingdom work. It's kingdom work. It takes focus. If you're waiting on your feelings to get joyful, mm, good luck with that. You're going to try to supplement joy by a bottle, by a business, by a title, by a bank account. You're going to try to supplement joy, but all you're getting is maybe happiness at best. Joy is what God intends for us. I I'm gonna challenge you to stop trying to find joy and just find focus. Find focus. You know, um, let me read this quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, I know I'm on C.S. Lewis a lot, but I've been reading him. Watch this one. If you wanna get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you wanna be wet, you must get into the water. 
If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. Like we like to think that joy is just this thing. Oh God, will you give me joy? Just give it to me. Like I put in the, the dollar bill in the vending machine and I push A7 and joy comes out. Awesome, thank you. It's, it's Michelle, you guys know Michelle, my wife. She's like the most peaceful, calming, opposite of me. Like <laughs> she's just so, when I'm, when I'm around her, I'm, I'm just at peace. And we, we have these, um, this area, we sit and pray and read the Bible together. And man, there's just something about her presence that's calming to me. And you, you know people like that. You also know people the opposite. You get around them and you're just anxious. You're like, oh my gosh, I gotta get away from this person. Because we're, we're contagious. Whatever, whatever our, our personality is, we're just kind of contagious. And so it's not like Michelle is like, hey, John, come here, I got some peace for you. Here you go. It happens because I got into proximity of her. And just her aura, her, this is how it is with the Lord. If you, if you, wanna, if you want joy, don't go to the Lord and just say, I need some joy, Lord. If you'll just get in proximity of the Lord, what'll happen is Galatians 5.22 will come to life and the fruits of the Spirit will begin to come out and manifest in you. That's why this text in Romans 15, 13, it tells us this. I've read it once, I'll read it again. It says, may the God of hope fill you. Pause. Who's gonna fill you? Well, he can't fill you if you're not close enough to him to get the picture poured onto you. So it's a proximity question. He's gonna fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. If somebody, I lose stuff, we all lose stuff, but I'm a little bit of a um, type A in some ways. I'm a little OCD on some stuff. Can all the OCD type A's give me an amen? Okay, we don't have very many, that's not good. We're not gonna get much done around here. I, like, if, if, I, if I have my keys, I know where my keys belong. They belong on my dresser. That's where they go, in my mind. So if my keys are in my truck or, or in the kitchen, I will literally get up, go get my keys, and put them where I know they go. Because tomorrow, when I'm trying to get out the door, I don't wanna be like, where's my keys? And the whole family's in a panic. So if you came to me most days and said, John, do you have your keys? Or if Michelle comes to me and says, hey, I need to move your truck, can you give me your keys? Here's what I'll say, they're not on me but I know where they are. Now, what if we could get to believers as, I'm not saying you should just live this happy-go-lucky, joyful life all the time, and you should just be happy all the time. That's silly. Nobody's capable of that. But what we should be able to do as believers is say, hey, you got some joy? I don't have any on me, but I know where I can find it. If I'll focus, and if I'll get my mind and my soul and my feelings out of this earthly kingdom, and take a step into the kingdom of God, I know that I know that it is right where I left it. It's right where I left it. So let me close with this passage. This is the passage that Pastor Wade preached on last week, part of it. And this is, this is what really began to, to kind of begin the journey of me preaching this sermon. So I asked you earlier, what joy is set before you? And maybe you didn't really know how to answer that. I mean, maybe you did, but if you didn't, I wanna give it to you 
okay? I'm gonna give you what joy has set before you in this text, okay? So you can endure any hardship. There's nothing that this world or this devil could ever throw at you because of this, because of the joy that is set before you. First Peter 1, 3, it said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, that's the joy that's set before you. He's gonna go on to list some more, but he says, you know what, I'm gonna list this one first because even if he never does anything else for me, that's enough. That's enough to be joyful for. I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven, even in my craziness and my shame and my sin and my mess ups on this world, I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven because Jesus died on the cross for me. Man, if I can't find joy in that, he said, that's the joy that's set before you. Then he goes on to say this, verse four, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the joy that's set before you. Verse five, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the joy set before you. Verse six, in this, in these things that I've just listed, you greatly rejoice. This is, worth, this is worthy of your joy, worthy of rejoicing over. Even though now, then he's gonna bring in the reality of the world, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, boy, he preached on that last week so well, precious, more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, watch this, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. One translation says, joy unspeakable. Remember that old song? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It means you're gonna have so much joy, you don't even know how to express it. Like you don't even know how to articulate. You can't articulate it because in the natural, you have nothing to be joyful about. So it's hard for me to explain to you why I can live a life of joy, but I've focused on the right thing. I've framed my focus on the right thing and therefore I can live a life of joy. So for the joy set before us, I just wanna pray over you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I wanna do now what I, I sense that you asked me to do last Sunday, a week ago today at about this very time. Your assignment to me was to speak joy over this house. So Father, I can speak a word of joy, but only you can make it take root and grow. So Lord, I, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would right now begin to shift our thinking, shift our feelings, shift our earthly vision to more of a kingdom vision, Lord. We need you, Lord. We've tried this world without you and we have found it failing. So Father, we even pause to say, forgive us, forgive, forgive me, Lord, for, for failing and misplacing my joy 
may I always know where joy is. And I know that it's, it's crazy to think that I'm gonna always be joyful. That's impossible. But Father, I may not have it on me, but I know where I left it. So may I run back to you over and over again, Lord, to the, to the richest supply of joy ever known. A well that never runs dry. A fountain that never stops flowing. So God, bring joy into this house. Come on, in your own way, just, you, can, you don't have to say it audibly, but just in your own way, just invite joy into your house, into your home, into your heart. Maybe you're struggling with kids at home and, or turmoil, or maybe your marriage, or maybe there's financial ruin, or maybe your business is hurting, or maybe you're miserable in your job. Father, for the joy set before us, we will endure. Bring joy, Lord. We speak joy over our families. We speak joy over our businesses. We speak joy over this church, over this house, Lord. May we be joyful people. May it overflow from us. May it be such an abundance of joy that it just flows out of us and, and impacts people all around us, God. May it change our businesses. May it change our families. May it change our workplaces. May the cubicles around me become joyful just because of the joy that I have found. Use us in this way, Lord. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.